of freedom. Thank you for those uh, in attendance who served. Uh, we appreciate you, and we thank you for uh, what you've done for us. We appreciate the flowers. They're beautiful, and, and uh, <clears throat> it's just a good day to think about, you know, people sacrificing for another person. But, boy, isn't that a great spiritual application? Isn't that what we should be about as Christians is looking to serve somebody else, looking to help somebody in need, looking to help somebody who's struggling. It's what we talked about in class, and it's just a great uh, thing to remember. So thank you for those of you who served, and as we remember those who have fallen as well. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Second uh, Timothy chapter 1. And we're going to look at verses 8 through 12, and then we'll begin our lesson. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 12. I see we have some guests. We're so glad you're here. Thank you for coming and being a part of our worship. We hope that our worship thus far has been in spirit and truth. We strive to do what the Lord wants us to do, to be pleasing to Him. So we thank you for being here and come again and be a part of of what we have going on here. What an exciting time it is here at Fountainhead. Verse 8 says this. Hold on. Before I start. I just want to tell y'all. I was trying to act real serious. I'm really excited about this lesson, okay? I am really excited about what we're about to get into. I was trying to be calm, but I just can't do it. So here we go. Verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but now has revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Isn't that a beautiful song? We know that song. What a great song. And it comes from this verse. So as we continue our lessons on the blessings from the Lord, we come to one that challenges us in our lives. It challenges us, it challenges us either to stay the course, either to get back on the course, or to begin the course. It's a blessing that sometimes causes hurt or pain. But in the end, if we allow this blessing to work to become what it needs to be, it makes us stronger. And we appreciate it when we look back on it. This blessing that I'd like for us to consider is the word conviction. When we look into the world and we see uh, conviction in people, you know, we look up to that, don't we? We look up to people who have this, these immovable beliefs, who help change schools, who help change communities, 
who help change countries for the better. People who are willing to suffer, hold fast in storms and struggles, and persevere through unbelievable obstacles just because their conviction for something. Now, when we apply this concept spiritually, if we see someone with strong conviction for the faith, sometimes while it may encourage us, does it not sometimes make us feel small? Does it not sometimes make us feel ashamed when we think, you know, I'm not even on the same level as that? Because for whatever reason, I just lack that kind of conviction, and I'm not sure why. The word conviction means this, a firmly held belief or opinion, being firmly convinced of what one believes or says. Notice what Paul says in the verse that was just read, verse 12. It says, he's not ashamed because he knows who he believes in. And he is persuaded. What is he persuaded of? That it's worth it to live for him. (laughs) It's worth it to live for him. Personal conviction is something we as Christians must have and should be striving to make stronger and stronger as we live here on this earth. The Lord wants us to be convinced that what we're doing is right. Amen? He wants it to be deep down in our bones. He wants us to be ate up with it. See, the Lord designed a beautiful system. Those who want to be a part of His family should be this way. Why is conviction such a blessing? Because it's who we decide to be. I love it. It's not something that's forced on us. See, He allows us to become fully persuaded, not forcing us like a robot having to obey the commands because we've been told to. If you would, turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And I want to look at this just for a minute. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Verses 2 through 5, and I do have it up here. The Bible says this, We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God, our God and Father. And then he says, Knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. Now, what we see from Paul is this thought. Catch this, brethren. It should matter how the gospel message came into your life. Because if it comes in the right way, others should see it. See, it doesn't come with words only. You know, it's one thing to hear the gospel, to understand what it is, but if it's just words, then it's just words. But it didn't come to us in word only. It came with power. 
You know, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, where it talks about the word of God is what, brethren? Sharper than any two-edged sword. How is that word sharper than any two-edged sword? Because it comes by way of the Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 tells us what? All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. The Lord is the one who delivered the message for us to hear. So when we hear it, it's not just some man's opinion. This comes from the Almighty. So therefore, when Paul says, with much assurance, the Greek wording there means deep conviction. Think about what it says at the end of this verse. It says, as you know, what kind of men we were among you for your sake. What kind of men were they? They were the men who understood what the word said. They were men who understood what the truth was, that they had been redeemed, that they had been forgiven of their sins, that they had been added to the body, and this gospel message was incredible. And therefore, the way they acted, the way that they talked, the way that they discussed things was an example for others. Deep conviction doesn't come just from high emotion. It comes from understanding the truth. And it becomes a motivation within you that cannot be taken away. Brethren, remember this thought. Conviction is how we live. See, it's how we stand in the midst of the crowd. You know, it's how we say no when everybody else says yes. It's big time. It's what we need to have in our lives. Is that us? Is that who we are? How can we tell if our conviction is what it needs to be or if it needs a boost spiritually? Well, let's think about some things. If our conviction needs a boost, is it because we are indecisive? You remember James chapter 1, verse 6, what does it say? But let him ask in faith with no doubting. So when I ask God for something, when I pray to the Lord, how do I ask him? I better not ask him doubting. Why? Because my conviction is this. The Lord hears my prayer. How many prayers have you guys asked for that have been answered? Isn't it incredible? <laughs> hey, and you know what? If it didn't get ex answered exactly how you wanted it to be answered, it was according to His will, wasn't it? You remember what Jesus said? If this cup can pass from me, let it pass. But not my will, your will be done. So he says, James, let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. When we are indecisive, we have a hard time making decisions and are constantly second-guessing ourselves, aren't we? You know, the anchor, the Lord, that should be holding us secure, he's either missing because lack of study, or we just don't see the relevance of having a relationship with Him. It just doesn't matter. What about this? 
Are we in, a need, are we, uh, in need of a, a boost spiritually in our conviction because we continue to stay immature? Ephesians chapter 4, verses 14 and 15 say this, that we should no longer be children. Brethren, when you obey the gospel, when you obeyed the gospel, you were a babe in Christ. If you had to be honest with yourself right now, do you know any more than you did when you obeyed the gospel? A little bit more? A whole lot more? That's how you can tell whether you're still a child. The Bible tells us spiritually. The Bible tells us that we should no longer be children. Tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine. You want to know the reason why we don't have this strong conviction to stand up for truth? Because we're immature. And when these doctrines come around and these things come in, and it just seems like God wouldn't be mad about this, or He wouldn't be mad about this, or that, or whatever, or I don't know why He's mad at me for wanting to live like this, if we're not convicted that the word of God is the truth this happens the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting speaking the truth in love we should grow up in all things into him who is the head of Christ not into these false narratives if we are immature in our spiritual walk we become easily tossed to and fro and when it comes to any type of religious thought See, the roots are conviction. Watch this one. Aren't developed enough to hold us. Isn't it hard to pull up a tree? I mean, if you got a tree this big, are you just going to go over to that tree and just pull that thing up? No. Nah. The roots are probably just as big as the tree on top, isn't it? But if that tree don't have any roots, if it's right there in the gravel, what do you do? You just pull that thing right up. So what happens in that concept? We fold and quit. We start over, then we go for a little bit, and then we fold up and quit. And we never are able to stand fast to push through the trials. And we never develop our conviction the way it needs to be in our lives. What about this one? Are we vulnerable? Have we left ourselves in a state of vulnerability? I don't even know if that's a word, but I'm just using it. 2 Peter chapter 2, talking about false teachers. And I'm going to tell you right now, there's false teachers out here, brethren. Check what I say, please, because I don't want to be one. I don't ever want to stand before you and send you in a false way. I want to do it by the word of God. And if I'm not doing it, please help me. But look at what it says about them. They're wells without water. They're clouds carried by a tempest. From whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Now watch. When they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. Dangerous, dangerous area. If our conviction is what it should be, this is out of, out of the mind. 
I'm not thinking about this. I'm not being involved in this because I'm not going to be persuaded to do the wrong thing. Are we vulnerable? Are we getting seduced and enticed easy by the desires of the world? If our conviction and what we stand on isn't what it needs to be, our belief has become watered down. And we won't put up a stance when spiritual discussions come because they're not really that important. <laughs> it doesn't really matter. What about this one? A hypocrite. Matthew chapter 23, verse 25 says this. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Wow. The Greek word extortion means the act of plundering or robbery. Now think about the application. Are we using the name of the Lord to promote ourselves? You know, if you do God's will, if you're kind and you're gentle to people, what happens? People say, man, he's got a great personality, right? Isn't that automatic? When we do the thing, when we turn the other cheek, when we do those principles that God has established for us to do, it comes off as shining light, doesn't it? But are we really just taking advantage of what God does for us, the way to live and benefit for ourselves? Think about... The other one, self-indulgence. The word self-indulgence in the Greek means to want for self-control. So is it really us who want to control the narrative of our life by using God to get what we want? Check this thought out. Are we hypocritical? Be honest with yourself. Looking good on the outside, but on the inside, there's no conviction really to serve God at all. Man, I hope that's not what we are. Man, I hope that's not what we are. People need the truth. People need Jesus. And they need Him now. See, this mind frame shows us it's not about the real relationship with the Lord and how to serve Him. No, it's the way we want others to see us. So I'm going to use God's stuff to make me look good. And never talk one time about Jesus to somebody else. Never talk one time about what He's done for you. Never talk one time about a man who willingly became the curse on the tree for you and for me. Therefore, the passion to serve the Lord becomes non-existent. No conviction. So thinking about all of these, how do we make our conviction what it needs to be? Well, in order for us to have the right conviction, we must be Convicted. Amen? <laughs> I mean, you ain't going to have no type of conviction if you ain't convicted. What does convicted look like? You remember in Acts chapter 9, Saul, 
You remember he's headed down this road, and what is he planning to do? He's planning to go into Damascus, and he's about to drag these Christians out of the city and lock them up. But what happens? A light hits him. A light blinds him. He doesn't know what to do. And in verse 6, he says, Lord, what do you want me to do? And then in verse 9, it says, For three days he sat without sight, and what did he do? He didn't eat or drink. <laughs> you think there was some conversation, some thoughts, some doubts, some misunderstanding, some frustration, some stuff going on in Paul's head? You better believe it. But Ananias comes to him. And Ananias tells him exactly what he needs to do. And what does Paul do? He obeys the gospel. He becomes a child of God, and from that point on, we see a transformation in a man. We see a change in a person. We see him living one way and then living another. That's conviction. You remember he says, I thank the Lord for uh, saving me and allowing me to be a part of this ministry. You know, the one who was the chief of all sinners. What about David? You remember in 2 Samuel chapter 12 when Nathan comes to David and he tells him that story about uh, this rich guy that had all these lambs and instead of just getting one out of his field, he goes and he gets this one from this guy who just has this one little precious one. He comes and takes it from him. How does David react? That man needs to be killed, doesn't he? And Nathan says to him, you're the man. Instead of justifying it, instead of making an excuse, what does David say? In verse 13, I have sinned against the Lord. That's conviction. He was convicted. He understood that he was living contrary to God's Word, and the only way that he could get right was to have forgiveness through him. What a blessing we have on this side of the cross. Jesus died so we could be forgiven, and every single time we mess up, because brethren, I mess up on a daily basis, but every single day I can ask the Lord to forgive me, and He does it. Doesn't that move you? Doesn't that inspire you? What does it feel like to be convicted? It's our conscience awakening. It's the thoughts of, I can't believe that this is me. I can't believe that I'm living this way. Does God approve of how I'm living day to day when nobody else knows? When I'm in the privacy of my home doing the things that I want to do, could I actually be wrong? Brethren, friend, in order for us to be able to stand for the truth and have conviction in our lives that will bring glory and honor to the King, we must be willing to look at our life honestly in accordance with what God wants us to do, and then say, am I living the right way or am I not? And if I'm not, am I willing to change?
As we close, I want to ask you several questions. I don't want you to think about anybody else. I want you to think about yourself. Just for a minute. Don't pay attention to anybody else or what else is going on around you. Just think about yourself for a minute. Just think about if this is you. Am I convinced that every person needs to live by the Bible? Am I convinced this is the best way to live? And this is the best life? Am I convinced that without Jesus and obeying His commands, there is no hope for eternal life? Am I convinced I need to pray and need God's help through life every day? Am I convinced that the Lord will be with me through the hard and the easy times? And am I convinced that Jesus loves me? and is coming back for me. One day, he's coming back. Don't forget it. Don't. Are you convinced of these things? If so, why isn't your light shining? So others can see the conviction in your life to be the best child of God you can be. One that is pleasing to the Lord. And one that inspires others to do the same. Are we those type of people? I want you to think about what Paul says in 2 Timothy. Think about it. He says, for I know whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Man, love it. If we are really convicted of what we have done against the Lord... And understand what he's done to take that away. Brethren, I'm going to tell you something. I, I say it all the time, but I'm not going to forget it because it helps me in understanding what I'm doing is worth it. I have lived in such a way. Our conviction should spur us to be committed to the life of a Christian. What is that? A Christian is one who is zealous for good works. <laughs> zealous. The question for this morning is, what's your conviction look like? Are we firmly convinced of what we are doing is worth it?
Is it worth it? And nobody or nothing is going to stop me from doing what I'm doing? Brethren, I hope that's your mind frame. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians at the end of the chapter, talking about the gospel, talking about being with the Lord, he says what? Be steadfast. Be immovable. Don't move. It's worth it. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord, it ain't in vain. All the blessings that come. Maybe you're here today and you're struggling in your walk as a Christian. Maybe you're here today and you're not doing the things that you're supposed to do. Hey, you know what? Don't waste any more time thinking about it. Don't waste any more time not being the Christian that you need to be. Repent. Ask for forgiveness. Make it right. If you need people to be there, what in the world do we do this for? Why do we sit and think about it? Time is ticking. We're not promised another moment. We're not promised another minute. We're not promised the next breath of air that we breathe. Why waste any more time thinking about serving the Lord? Why not be the one who says, I'll show you my faith by my works? I'm going to show it to you. Maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian. Don't miss the opportunity to be added to the greatest kingdom ever. I'm proud to say this, and I know many of our, you are too, and I stand proud when I say I belong to the greatest kingdom ever. And it'll never die, and it'll never be destroyed. It'll never be brought down. It's a kingdom that's everlasting, and the reward is out of this world. Jesus said, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. If you need to be saved, please don't put it off. Come right now, together we stand and sing.